You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 124. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by AcuityScheduling.com. Acuity is awesome for anyone who needs to schedule their clients and wants to do so in a super simple and beautiful way. To try out Acuity Scheduling for free for 45 days, go over to AcuityScheduling.com backslash lively. At the end of the show, I'm going to be speaking with the one and only Rita Yanez about her experience with Acuity. Today, I'm excited to unveil a new collaboration, a capsule wardrobe, if you will, that I've been working on with friend and designer Natalie Comstock Burrow of Style and Spirit, which you can check out at style-and-spirit.com. Natalie and I have created three new shirts that we are so excited to share with you. These are designs and phrases, intentional values-based messages that I'm so excited about to not only wear myself, but also be able to share with you if the messages resonate with you as well. We decided to unveil this collaboration and this t-shirt collection today of all days because one of the messages on one of the shirts is Santosha. And in today's show with Brene Brown, we happen to touch on the subject of Santosha. So this way you'll learn a little bit more about what Santosha means in particular. But to check out all three shirts, head over to JessLively.com shop. Feel free to pick up one for yourself or for a friend, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. I can't wait to start wearing them, and I hope you do too. Now we're moving on to today's show. As I mentioned, Brene Brown is today's guest. I cannot believe I'm saying that. This has been something that I have been dreaming about and thinking about for probably as long as I've been doing The Lively Show, or at least for as long as I've known about Brene Brown. I have been dying to have a conversation with her, and I'm so pumped that that day has finally come. If you haven't heard about Brene before, I think the first place to check her out is where millions of people first discovered her work, which is her Power of Vulnerability TED Talk. It's been downloaded 23 million times. She's also written many books, including The Gifts of Imperfection and Daring Greatly. And today we're talking about her newest book, Rising Strong. In particular, this episode is really going to hone in on boundaries and how we can make them with the people we care about, because one of the subjects in Life with Intention Online that we deal with often is how to handle difficult relationship situations with people we care about personally and professionally. This episode is going to give you Brene Brown's thoughts on the subject, and I'm so excited to share. Let's go to the show. Brene, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to be with you. Typically, I will say, let's start with how you got to where you are. But with our time today, I'd actually like to jump right into the moment that Rising Strong became clear to you that that's what you needed to do next in your career in research. What sparked it? You know, I think after Daring Greatly, we got so many emails about, okay, I've dared greatly. I've, I said I love you first. I really tried something new at work and failed. And now I've got my butt kicked. And how do I get back up? And I think I always knew that I would write a story about getting back up. And so I write a book about getting back up. So it felt like a really natural progression for me. Is there any specific moment in your own life that kind of hit you like a ton of bricks that was showing you that it was your own personal journey's next step? 
Yeah, I mean, my own getting my butt kicked, um, I think, was part, part of it. I mean, I think there's work in Rising Strong that I've always wanted to try to figure out that I felt personally called to understand stuff around forgiveness, around grief, around staying in a story until you touch every part of it and the power of owning our stories so that we get to write how they end. Because I think as, you know, success kind of started coming my way after the gifts and after daring greatly, there were still hard things in my life that I looked back at. And I thought, you know, if you caught me in the middle of one of these chapters, you would have a different understanding of who I really am. And I'm going to talk about how some of this ends. And so I think it was just, I don't ever write anything that I'm not called to write for myself because I am my community. I mean, we have a lot in common. I think it was both the community, you know, wanting it and also me. And I have to say, as I was reading it, I read it in two chunks, if you will. And the first time I was reading it, I didn't really have anything that I was rising from. So I was interpreting it kind of as like a preventative measure. And I definitely was looking at it more from a professional context of rising strong. And I have to say, I went through the holidays and then picked up the book after the holidays, after a family situation that happened. And I'm not going to get into details of that, but I'll just say it was a completely different experience reading the book and picking up where I left off, like tears running down my cheeks. So grateful for this work in a totally different level than I could even imagine when I was reading it in the first place. And I'm wondering, how important do you think context is to this work? Picking this book up in the beginning when I didn't have anything personally where I was, you know, falling down, it was fun to read and it was like, yes, this is good content. But then when I'm in it, you know, I'm in the the rumble and the reckoning, it was totally transformative. Have you found that to be true for others reading it? Yeah. I mean, I think the people that have written to us and just said, oh God, this book like just kicked my ass in some ways, really either were in the midst of something or could recall something that they were in. Like I actually just got an email from someone that said, I was kind of excited to read it because I'm not having a hard time right now. But what I realized I'm in the midst of creating some pain in my own life by making up stories about what's going on between me and a friend who are in a conflict. I think it's helpful to be really honest about not only what you're in right now, but what you've been through. I think that's very helpful. I definitely can agree with that. And I can say for anyone that's going through, I've recommended this to many people actually after the holidays that came to me saying that their experience with their families was difficult. And I'm just like, got to read Rising Strong. Like this is the time (laughs) right now while you're in it, this is going to seep into your soul in such a deep way because this is exactly what's going to help you soothe that pain or discomfort that you might be feeling. So before we get into the nitty gritties of some of my favorite pieces of the Rising Strong process, can you quickly just do the broad strokes of Rising Strong? Yeah, for me, there's, it's all based on kind of the physics of vulnerability. If we're brave enough, often enough, we're going to fall. When I ask people, and we ask thousands of people in the research, you know, what is vulnerability? It ranged from starting my own business to trying to get pregnant after my second miscarriage, going through a divorce, saying I love you first, first date after my divorce. I mean taking my business public, firing someone, getting fired, you know. And so if we're brave enough with our lives, if we keep showing up and letting ourselves be seen, we're going to fall. That is part of what it means to live a brave life. And that's why not very many people live truly brave lives because we're always trying to protect ourselves from the fall. And so rising strong, the research question for me is what do men and women who have fallen 
and are able to get back up and even be more courageous with their lives, more tenacious, what do they share in common? They all, in some way, share this major process in common of recognizing that they're in emotion, understanding really when they're snagged by emotion, like what's happening, getting curious about emotion, and then rumbling with it, really having hard moments. Like when something hard happens, if it's a, a crappy look from a coworker or it's a hard call from a partner or a fight with an in-law, what we don't understand is that emotion gets the first crack at making sense of what happens. And we are neurobiologically wired for story, meaning our brain recognizes a story. It recognizes the pattern of beginning, middle, and end. And it immediately is desperate for a story to understand why we're feeling pain, why we're having a hard time. And so the brain chemically rewards us for a story. The problem is it rewards us whether the story is true or not. So I'll think of something that just happened. Like I was going into a meeting with a colleague and that colleague had a pre-call that I walked in on and I was like, oh, did I, am I late for the call? And she goes, no, we're just having a call before the call. And I was like, why? What's going on? Like, what are you preparing for? And she said, nothing. We just need to. I'm like, okay, is something going on? I, within two seconds, had made up a story that I had done something wrong or they were going to confront me about something or something was going on. And she started laughing and she goes, okay, what story are you making up right now? Yeah. And I said, I'm making up that if you had to have a pre-call before I got on, something's wrong. And she goes, it's so funny because the pre-call wasn't my idea. It was two of our other colleagues who said, we need to talk to you before the meeting with Brene. And I, I made up that I was getting fired. And I was like, what? And she's like, and so we, you know, emotion is driving and we make up these stories. We're rewarded for them, especially if they're really black and white stories, no nuance, no uncertainty, no ambiguity. And then the problem is that had we not had this conversation, I mean, this just happened a couple of days ago, had we not had the conversation of, hey, what story are you making up? I would have gotten on that call really posturing and really defended. Absolutely. I could totally see that happening. And I could totally relate to the feeling of what you had. <laughs> I could see myself having the same story. Yeah. For even a neighbor, like a neighbor the other day, drove by and I waved and I swear to God, I thought they were rolled their eyes at me. And I was like, Oh my God, what, you know, what happened? I mean, like, yes, we were a little late getting our Christmas stuff down. Like, like what the hell is going on? I actually saw her the next day picking up our kids from school. And I was like, Hey, I waved at you yesterday, but I thought, I think you rolled your eyes at me. And she was what? And I said, no, when you were driving by and she goes, Oh, I didn't even see you. Oh my God. I am in the biggest fight with my mother right now. And all she wants to do is talk to me when I'm driving. And I was like, Oh, this is not about me, Brene. Cool. You know, like, you know, it's just, that's who we are. And so rising strong is about how do we recognize that we're in emotion? How do we reality check and recognize the stories we make up? And then how do we make right by those stories and do the tough stuff of checking in about them? The fact that you went to the neighbor and said something about the eye roll is so brave. Obviously, that's what you teach. And being vulnerable about that. But I just can't even imagine having the courage or thought to even think that that's worth going to explore. One of the things I've been working on a lot in my life personally is I wanted to get better at tough conversations because I know actually the capacity for tough conversations is such a barrier to leadership in men and women, but especially women when we want to be liked 
you know, we want to make things comfortable and easy for people. So I've been working really hard on tough conversations and I've gotten, I'm getting better. It's a practice and people think people are just genuinely good at it and they're not, but it's not, that's not true. That's a lie. It's a total practice. So I'm gotten very good at saying, Hey, here's a story I'm making up right now. Can we check in? I want to make sure everything's good between us. And what I have found is a hundred times out of a hundred people are like, dude, that was really brave. And I really appreciate it. It really inspires me to think about those little things I would push under the rug and not think to ask about to know that that's actually practicing for the the bigger, more important stuff that comes along as well. Totally. So when it comes to this emotionality, because it's actually the topic I really want to dive into is the high centering emotionally. You write that one reason we deny our feelings is our fear of high centering emotionally. Would you mind explaining what that is? Yeah. So if you're listening to the podcast, whatever you do, like don't Google high centering because you're going to get a picture of a cow stuck on a fence. It's just terrible. I always think the terms I use are really common. But when I was on my book tour, people were like, uh, yeehaw, it's like rodeo language in this book. So high centering is a term that I first used, like with my grandmother, had a driveway that was two strips of concrete. And then the middle was kind of a mound of grass. And sometimes the mound would get high and high. And my parents would always say, y'all need to flatten the driveway. Your grandma's going to get high centered. And high centered is the reason why it showed. It's like, imagine a cow jumping over a fence and all of a sudden its belly is stuck on the fence and its front legs nor its back legs are touching the ground. So high centered is when the middle of something is so high, you can't go forward and you can't go backwards. You're stuck. And so emotional high centering. I really heard this a lot, especially when I, I interviewed men and when I interviewed vets and when I interviewed people who like myself were raised to be tough. The fear is that if you, if just, if you call me and you go, Hey, Brene, it's Jess. I, I know you're going through some hard stuff. How's everything going? And I'm like, yeah, it just really sucks right now. I'm in a bad place. And then you say, well, let's talk about it. And then all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed with that feeling like, okay, I just opened the door, but I don't really want to walk through it with you. And so now my uh, my choices are to say like, no, it's, I'm fine, really. Or I have to go into this harder place. And what people say is, I can't go forward because I'm afraid if I keep talking about what's hard, I may lose emotional control. I may start crying and not stop for you know a month. And I can't walk it back and pretend like nothing's really wrong. I don't know why you think something's wrong. And so rather than doing anything, I just, I mean, I remember an interview with a vet where he said, you lost two troops in one day with an IED. And he went to go make the calls to the parents themselves. And he came back and some of the people he, that report to him said, you know, you, are you okay? He said, I'm having a really tough time. One of the guys kind of reached up and put his arm around him. And he said, but I'm fine. So stand down because he got completely high centered. He's like, if I let myself move forward, I may start crying and never stop. Our fear is I'm going to pretend like everything's okay. Because if I tell Jess, yeah, I'm having a hard time. She may lean into that and really expect me to talk about it. And I don't know I can, if I can do it. How do we deal with it? Being high centered is one form of offloading emotion instead of feeling it we offload it. And so one of the very hard things is we're much better at causing pain in other people than we are feeling our own pain. We're much better at hiding pain until it physically takes a toll on our bodies and our lives than we are at expressing it. And so I think it what how we fix it is practice. I say, look, Jess, I'm really glad you called. I am really having a hard time. 
but I'm uncomfortable. And so I want you to call and check on me, but sometimes I can only do what I can only do. And that's going to have to be okay. Do you have to give yourself time or space to feel the emotion so it doesn't get, like you said, kind of shoved into your body in a physical reaction? I mean, yeah, because the thing is that we feel, you know, they call them feelings because we actually feel them. We have a, a physiological response to emotion. And so the first thing we have to do is be able to recognize emotion. And people are like, oh, that's easy. I got that one. And I'm like, really? You know, like if you're listening to the podcast right now, raise your hand if you were raised in a family where you were encouraged to fully lean into emotion and talk about it and discuss it and get curious about it. Like if I'm in a room of a thousand people, that's usually two people. It was not my family. <laughs> yeah, it's not my family either. We were raised to suck it up, get over it and talking about it and going to make anything different. So get over it. And so the first thing in the rising strong process is men and women who rise strong recognize when they've been snagged by emotion and they get curious about it because we have a physiological response. So when my neighbor rolled her eyes at me, I immediately got anxious. I got a little stressed. My hands started sweating and I'm like, okay, what's going on? Okay. I'm feeling like, did I do something wrong? Sometimes I, you know, I always, I go to the place, that shame place if I work too much and people are like, oh, she's a crappy neighbor. Cause she's out, you know, talking to Oprah Winfrey and, I, and all my, all those kind of gremlins start. And I'm like, okay, what's really happening? What story are you making up right now? Because, you know, I call it the SFD, which is S H I T T Y the, you know, the sucky first draft, the stormy first draft. That's that first story. And so men and women who can rise strong are like, what story are you telling yourself right now? Like, what are you making up, Brene? I'm making up that I'm a terrible neighbor and she's mad at me about something that I don't even know about. And she's probably told everybody in the neighborhood that I'm a crappy neighbor and a bad friend. I'm like, I go to crazy. I go to crazy. <laughs> like, we all go to crazy. And so what do I need to do to get clean with that? Actually, I had to do that myself today, right before our interview, if I'm going to be vulnerable. <laughs> Yeah, do it. I've been waiting for this interview to manifest for the last year, and it's here. And today I happen to have a pretty busy schedule, and I have a lot of deliverables that I've been kind of behind on getting out to people that need them. So I was trying to get all of this other work done, and I also was trying to be as excited emotionally as I could about the fact this is finally happening. And I felt the story, my SFD, was what's wrong with you? You should be happier right now instead of stressed and annoyed because this is the thing you've been waiting for, right? But I was so stuck in the execution mode of all the other stuff and frustrated I wasn't getting as far in that stuff that I wasn't enjoying this as I thought I, or the preparation for this as much as I thought I would. So then I was like feeling bad about myself leading into this thinking, what's wrong with you? There's, you know, why is this what you're feeling when it's what you've wanted most for the last year? Oh, yeah. Not happy enough, grateful enough, excited enough. Those are such big shame triggers, I think, for all of us. So, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, I make up that story sometimes. Like, I'll be somewhere presenting somewhere and I'll be really homesick and Ellen or Charlie will have something going on. And you're like, you have a career you love, doing work you love, doing work that you think is meaningful. Why aren't you more grateful? Why are you, you know, getting ready to go on stage and you're homesick? And then I go to the gremlin of the story I make up is I'm never happy and I'm always complaining. And it's not true. There's room enough in all of us to be busy and excited and wishing that we weren't so busy that we could be more excited. We can hold all that. We're complex people. We got it. For me, it helped that I just took a moment. I noticed the story. I saw it. 
And then for me, I just went and I'm doing what I've been practicing a lot lately, which is pleasure. And I was like, what can I do to give myself pleasure right now? Instead of frustration, go take five minutes in. And I brushed my teeth randomly because that seemed like I need to have clean teeth when I talk to Brene. I put heels on because <laughs> I needed to have heels on when I talked to Brene. I, what else did I do? I lit a candle and I just like did all these random little things that kind of helped me feel that emotional like sense of well-being that I was frustrated that I didn't feel when I was trying to rush through this other work. So I felt better. It did work because I didn't have to go to someone else to talk to them about the story to see through it. I just kind of recognized it and tried to change my physiology and kind of get up and do some things that I knew were positive for me to feel that emotionally and then kind of be in line with the emotional space that I thought I'd like to experience when I'm talking to you. And I feel a lot better because of it. I totally love this story. I think you're so brave for telling it. I love it. Good. I'm glad you appreciate. So you talk about being compassionate and when you're compassionate, you have boundaries. So there's two questions here. First, what exactly is a boundary? It's a clear understanding of what's okay for you and what's not okay. And why is it important to have them as a compassionate person? I think there's two pieces of that. There's absolutely no way that you can be truly, genuinely, deeply compassionate and generous towards someone if they are violating your boundaries at that same time. And so by far, I, I had a stack of data like five or six years ago. I called it, for some reason, I put a sticky note on the top of it that said compassion smackdown. Like these were my most compassionate people. It even included a couple of monks. Like these were like very compassionate people. And what I found, I was looking for the variable that they all shared in common. And the one thing they all shared in common was very boundary. So I'll give you an example. And this is an example I use a lot. I use it. I'm teaching a class right now online and I've used this. And it's a really good example. You have a Christmas party every year and it's a really important thing to you. You look forward to it. You start planning it in October. It's really fun. And you've got a friend that you care about a lot who comes. And for the last two years, this friend gets wasted and acts out and it's every year as you're playing this party you're like in this dilemma about do I invite her do I not invite her I can't not invite her without you know like and so the compassionate and the boundary thing to do is to say hey Susan I'm really excited about the Christmas party this year I want to invite you again the last few times you came you drank so much that you got drunk it's really uncomfortable for me so it's okay if you come. It's not okay if you drink so much you get drunk. If you can't come without getting drunk, I'm going to have to ask you not to come. It is much less likely that you're going to be sitting with your partner or your friends going, oh my God, Susan is such an, you know, such a jerk. She's, you know, I think she's an alcoholic. What do y'all think? It's much more likely that you will have genuine love and care for her if she's not violating your boundaries. It's hard to do. Oh my God. Yeah. All my work is about being brave with our lives. And so I had like this big boundary day yesterday that was so, I have to say, there were a couple of the hardest discussions I've ever had. Steve and I were going to sleep last night and he said, you know, you did some amazing stuff today with boundaries, right? And I'm like, I'm exhausted. And he's like, but I thought, and this is a Leonard Cohen song. He's like, but I thought you said that daring greatly is not a victory march. It's a cold and broken hallelujah, Right. And I said, yeah, it is a cold and broken. But I have to say, as I was going to sleep, I've never felt more proud about myself. I've never felt more proud about anything I've ever accomplished or done in my life than having these incredibly boundaried and loving conversations. Santosha. What's Santosha? Are you familiar? <gasps> what? Tell me. 
Oh, Brene, I'm getting so excited. Okay, Santosha is a, I think it's Sanskrit, and it's the word that is using and rather than but in your life. So you can have cellulite and be healthy. Because you know what people say is, you look so great in that photo. Yeah, but uh, you should have seen me three seconds after that picture was taken. That's the but, right? And to say that we can say this and that. So when my husband and I uncoupled, we he actually wrote about this in his post about it. He said, you know, I was happy being married and I'm excited for our future. I am happy that we had all these times and I love Jess and I'm excited for our families we'll have in the future, right? So using and instead of but. Oh, Brene, that's like totally up your alley. That is so up my alley. Okay, you have to spell it for me. Spell it for all of us listening. Actually, I'm making a t-shirt for those listening with the word on it. Renee, I'll send you one. Okay, guess. S-A-N-T-O-S-H-A. That's a beautiful word. I think this is going to be part of your work in the future, and I can't believe I'm the one that mentioned it to you. I will tell. Jess Lively taught me the word. Yeah. <laughs> Santosha. Totally Santosha. Boundaries is always Santosha. It's, and you know, some people gear up for setting boundaries by being crappy to someone else. They're like, look, you're not going to come and get wasted again, are you, right? That's not boundary setting done well. I mean, I call it living big. Like what boundaries need to be in place for me to be in my integrity and generous toward each other? Boundaries, integrity, generosity. I care about you. I love to be around you. I love to celebrate the holidays with you. It's not okay if you're so drunk that you're falling down or making other people uncomfortable. I now understand this so much better that you just put the Santosha spin to it. Now I get it. So it's saying, I care about you, something positive Instead of saying, but, and sort of kind of negating it with the boundary, you're including the boundary with the love. Yeah. I mean, always. I'm trying to think of an example of, as a team leader, we have a big startup. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a huge team all of a sudden. And, you know, I kind of went from like a girl with a book and a blog to like being this major team leader, which is really great because I study leadership so much that, boy, I know how hard it is in the real world. Gee, many Christmas, other than parenting and being, you know, with Steve and managing our relationship over 30 years. Leading is the hardest thing I do. You know, it's so funny. I always tell people boundaries is generosity and integrity together. It's not, you know, it's like, I get that. Like we just had a very hard conference call with another company and they were saying this and this. And I'm like, I, I get it. And I hear you. And I understand what you're trying to do and accomplish. That is not okay with us. I hear you. And it's not okay. Can I give you a real world example again to be vulnerable? Yeah. All right. So it just happened this morning. Someone really, really lovely listens to the show and is going to happen to be in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I live right now, and would like to meet up on the weekend while she's there. Now, the part of me that wants to be liked wants to say yes, because I want to be liked. But the part of me that really values my time off being off feels like that's a boundary I need to make or have, but I don't know how to communicate it. This is a great example because as you can imagine, I get a lot of those requests as well. And I don't do them because when I'm not working, I'm with my kids and Steve, my sisters, my family, my, you know, I, I need to live wholehearted, not just talk about it. And so I'm really glad you're a connected part of this community. That's really important for me. And I have to really protect my personal time right now for self-care and for close family and friends. So yes, I want to be connected. And yes, I'm glad you're a member of the community and I'm going to do this. And let me tell you, I went on this book tour. I met up with Elizabeth Gilbert and my publisher gave me such a hard time because they were like, what do you mean you're not going to sign books? I'm like, I'm not signing books. 
I cannot sign books. These, we're talking about events with two and 3,000 people. That's six hours after a book signing. I go to bed at two or three in the morning, and then I come home, and I am not whole. I am not whole for Steve. I'm not whole for my children. I'm not whole. I literally have to come home and play hospital. I literally have to be in bed and then Steve sends the kids in to see me for 15 minutes at a time. I'm not doing that because I don't miss carpool. I don't miss field hockey games and swim meets. Like I'm not doing that. And so they said, it's unheard of. And they were so pissed off. I'm a pleaser and I don't want to disappoint anyone. And I would cry calling Murdoch, my manager. And I was like, I I should sign the books. He's like, we're not doing it. So I met up with Liz Gilbert, whose book came out after mine, and she also made the decision not to sign books. And I'm sure her publisher blames me for starting this thing. And we were in front of a group of 500 women, female entrepreneurs, and we did a thing together. And afterwards we said, here's why we're not signing books. Here's why I'm not going to apologize for sometimes, you know, flying business class sometimes because I have to open my computer and work so I don't have to do it when I get home. I have to eat decent food because I'm on the road and it's hard this is why your book is not signed. And we were scared. And all 500 of those women were in tears, crying and clapping. So sometimes the best thing you can do for people, I think, Jess, is say, I do care about this community. I am grateful for this community. And we're going to be a community of people who take care of themselves. And I'm going to start now by saying, I can't do this. Thank you. And I hope for everyone else listening that they might find a situation in their own lives that might be difficult and they might be able to use the Santosha (laughs) approach here. Totally. The love and the boundary. Yeah. Boundary is love. Boundary is respect. Boundaries is a function of love and respect. I love you enough to have an uncomfortable conversation with you about what's okay for me and what's not okay because I care about you and respect you too much to let this turn into resentment, gossip, talking behind your back. I'm not going to do that. I care about you too much. Here's what I need. Brene, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time out of your very busy schedule for us. This has been an honor and also been very informative for me personally to like really see how to apply the Rising Strong process and stuff that just even came up today. Oh my gosh, in Santosha, baby. I was meant to be on this call with you. Taught me an important word. Oh, thank you, Brene. Okay, take care. And there you have it. Thank you, Brene, so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to speak with us. And thank you for listening and taking time out of your very busy schedule to listen to this episode. If you would like to send Brene a message, you can do so on Twitter at Brene Brown. And if you'd like to find me on Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter, you can find me at Jess C as in cup of tea lively. For show notes and a free principle that's beautiful for today's episode, hop over to jesslively.com slash Brene Brown. Before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Rita Yanez about her experience with today's sponsor, acuityscheduling.com. Rita, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me in one way or another. Tell us about yourself. My name really is Rita Yanez, and I'm a native Californian. I was born and raised in Los Angeles County, and what I do is work for myself. I'm self-employed, and I provide all kinds of interesting services, including coaching on all kinds of life situations and any and everything that can pop up. I'm there to help you with it. That's fantastic. And I know with your business and serving others in this way, you're a huge fan of acuity scheduling. Would you mind telling us what acuity scheduling is all about? 
Acuity Scheduling is a standalone program that also can integrate right into your existing online business. And even if you're not online, it just goes right into the same mix where people can work right through your app. If you have an app and they make appointments, it basically is a program that handles every aspect of your appointment scheduling and billing and even offering products and services that can be purchased, including gift certificates. And so Acuity Scheduling, whether you charge for your time or not, and even just need a simple time scheduler, Acuity can do that for you. It does every single thing. This isn't rigged. I love it. I researched it. I sweated over it for the longest time to find the right product. I finally found Acuity, and it actually made a huge difference in my life because now I can actually make money and not have to worry about what Acuity gets to worry about. They get to do the worrying now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How has it changed your workflow exactly? Oh my goodness, in a huge ways, because I'm basically the only person that handles the entire business. So when it comes down to scheduling, collecting money, something I hate doing, having to do time conversions for setting up appointments, keeping track of people all around the world, Acuity Scheduling has completely relieved me of this. And so people go find me through YouTube, my website, word of mouth. They type in my name. They have the option to schedule time, buy gift certificates and other services from me and they can look at my calendar and do everything they need to do, including see my availability in real time at all times. So in essence, all I have to do is breathe, Jess, and that is a good thing. That's fantastic. Who do you think it's good for? This is good for everybody, whether you're a teeny tiny company and you're just one person like me. And even if you are a giant company, whether you're Apple or you're Microsoft or your mom baking cookies in the kitchen and selling them, this is for you. It doesn't matter big or small. Acuity handles it all, including being able to just allocate your time for you with other people making appointments, whether you charge or not. So it's really for everybody. You could be a car wash business, you can be baking cookies, or you could be negotiating large pieces of property and Acuity can handle it all. And what's this whole thing about HIPAA compliance? HIPAA compliance, there are pieces of information that need to be protected for privacy reasons. So for example, I have some clients that have medical issues and I haven't really moved into that yet, but it looks like this year I will need to move into it so that I could use some of these features because acuity scheduling is HIPAA compliant, which means that if you're ever audited to make sure that your record keeping is accurate and that people's privacy, their medical history, all of their information is being protected Acuity scheduling actually does that too. And you're not going to find that with most other scheduling programs, which, you know, could become quite an issue for even somebody like me. And I discovered that just at the end of last year that I'm going to need to use this HIPAA compliance feature, which is just part of what they offer. You know, they offer all the way from free accounts that are free for the rest of your natural life. And then they have, of course, very modestly priced programs that do so much that I haven't even used all of the features. So it is basically very important for those of you who are uh, working with clients, medical histories that are working even in the medical field. It's HIPAA compliant, so you don't have to worry that anyone's information is visible over the internet. It is protected, it is safe, and you are on every single list of compliance. You could take all those off with Acuity. It handles it all. Thank you so much for sharing that. And for anyone who wants to give this a try, because this is basically like having a free virtual assistant for 45 days with the Lively Show discount here. So go over to acuityscheduling.com backslash lively to get 45 days for free. Like I said, it's kind of like having your own VA for free for a month and a half, which is fantastic. They also have a traditional plan that's just two weeks free, but why not give 
the extra month a try as well, especially if you're going to move forward with it. It's just giving you that huge discount to get started. Again, go over to acuityscheduling.com backslash lively to give it a try. I will say I love it, use it, and love how beautiful it is compared to other schedules I've tried as well. So it's my little two cents there when it comes to enjoying the service. Rita, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your services? You could find me anywhere, including under your bed, for those of you who are brave. You could find me also at RitaYanis.com on the internet and at TV on YouTube. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. You are wonderful, and I love sharing the good news. And now for a sneak peek. Next week on the show, we're having my friend and furniture guru, designer, refinisher, Meg Piercy of megmade.com sharing about her experience in life as a business owner, a wife with a husband who works with her in her business and how they have navigated that duality and also just in generally how they have such a thriving relationship. As someone who has been good friends with these people, Meg and Joe, for many years, it's been so inspiring to see them grow their business, but also their family with their two little ones, along with the you know kind of personal growth that they've had. She's going to touch on the importance of counseling in their relationship, along with what she's learned in her journey to becoming a wiser, older person outside of her 20s, now looking into her 30s, what she's taking with her and how she's looking at things in a new way as a mom, business owner, and wife. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 